This morning, uh, one of our, the burning questions, the, one that, the main one that I'm focused on is why does God allow suffering? And, uh, you know, a lot of people have this question. It's a pretty common question, and a lot of times it's not a complicated answer. So if you're looking for something super deep, this ain't going to be it. But, um, but it's misunderstood many times. And, uh, you know, so we're going to look at some things here, um, you know, uh, specifically. And there's, you know, and there's some specific things that were asked that I'll kind of address, if you will. But this is a question a lot of people don't understand. You know, well, if God, I mean, we were just thinking about how great God is. And if God's so great, then why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen when I feel like I'm doing right? You know, I mean, I, I wasn't doing anything wrong and yet... Some bad things happen, even as believers, you know, and there's lots of questions about these things, um, you know, and there's a lot of misunderstanding and, and a lot of times uh, really doctrine that does not line up with Scripture, uh, you know, and the Bible is our standard. As believers, the Bible is our standard in all things. Why? Because it's true. And, uh, you know, and that is the standard of truth for us. And so anytime that we have a thought that's contrary to the Word of God, guess what? The Word of God doesn't change. Amen. We have to change. Right? That's the way this deal works. God's word is true. Paul wrote to Timothy and said that the word of God is the inspired word of God. Is that men were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write scripture, but it is truth. And so when any time that we bump into a scripture that doesn't quite jive with us, that means that we need to change our job, right? And we need to come in line with scripture. And so, you know... Um, the question that was asked that we'll start with is this one is, why does God allow suffering like things done against children, rape, etc.? And, uh, you know, and I'm going to try to do my best to keep this as brief as I can on this one. Um, but I still want to really give it ample time. And there's a reason that I started with this one. Let me just um, tell you what. Well, let me start by answering this question this way. And I understand it, and it is somewhat of a difficult question, but the first thing you have to know when asking this question is, is God didn't allow it. That's right. So the first thing is, why did God allow this? Well, God didn't allow it. It was a choice that was made by Adam and Eve. It's part of the fall. We call it the curse. We live in a fallen world, and we're not going to have, you know, utopia and perfection in this life. Not until Jesus comes back. And there's going to be trials and tribulations. There's going to be things that happen. And, and, and the ultimate answer is this, is that it's sin. Why do bad things happen? Because sin happens. Natural disasters happen because of sin. And I'll show you this here in a few minutes. You're like, well, I don't know about that. It's in the Bible. That's why Jesus said in the last days that you're going to see famines and wars and, and earthquakes and weird places. And, and why is that? The Bible actually talks, and we'll look at this in Romans. It talks about the earth travailing under the weight of sin. You know, there are things in life, and, and I've had circumstances. You know, I mean, many of you have heard me talk about this. And, um, you know, and I'll just give you an example of this is that when me and Dare, our first step into ministry was hell on earth, quite frankly. I don't know how else to say it nicely. And it was extremely painful about 20 months for us. But I really believed that the Lord had told me to go there. I felt led that the Lord led me to that place. And it's like, well, that's a place of suffering because that's all it was. I mean, it was, I won't even go into the details. It was me and Dara had been married for two weeks when we moved there. And we started full-time ministry, having been married for two weeks. And I went to hell on earth. And it was chaos. 
I mean, our first anniversary I spent as a, uh, how do I say this? I don't even know the right words. A, um, I wouldn't even say a bodyguard, but as a security guard in a lockdown facility full of teenage girls. That's where I spent my first anniversary, sitting up there, not being able to talk to my wife because it was in full-on meltdown there. And, um, you know, and it really didn't have much to do with that particular facility, but that's where I was on. But there was a lot of dysfunction happening. And I remember it wasn't maybe six or eight months after, maybe it was longer, I don't know, um, after we had left. And, uh, you know, and we stayed until we felt like the Lord had just said, hey, it's time to go. And, um, you know, and so we made the move and took a step of faith, not knowing what in the world we were doing. We just knew that it was time to go. So, sayonara. And, uh, you know, <laughs> good riddance, you know. And uh, now let me say this. The church was great. It really it wasn't the people in the church that were bad at all. The people were really good people. We had some problems with some of the leadership. And, uh, you know, and I'll just leave it at that. And, uh, but... Uh, I remember, though, Dara's brother named Farrell. Some of y'all have met Farrell. Me and Farrell have been close for a long time. I've actually known him longer than I've known Dara. And uh, so, uh, but anyhow, he asked me one time, just because we were, you know, when you're friends with somebody, you ask them questions you're not supposed to ask other people, but since you're friends, you can ask them. And uh, he asked me, he said, David, did you miss it going to Missouri? Did you, did you miss God in taking that step? Because, man, it was just chaos. And the wounds that it created... And I look, and I, to this day, now I'm actually, I would say, as far as I know, I am completely healed of those scars. To the best of my knowledge that I know of, that I, and I can see tremendous difference in my life because of it. God didn't cause those scars, people did. Decisions that people made, things that they said did. And I believe that God led me there. And he asked me, he said, did, you know, he said, did you miss it? And, and really, and that's a legitimate question. That was chaos. Why would God send you into the middle of chaos? Because you got hurt and you got wounded there. But there, you know, and and the thing is, is that no, I don't believe that God sent me there. I mean, I'll I'll just give you an example of this. Between the the month before I got there and, you know, I went and kind of nailed down some details. And then my first day at the office, they said, hey, I need you to come sit down. I need to tell you about something that's transpired since you were last here. Come to find out. The associate pastor of the church was a pedophile. They had no idea. And it had come to light. And he had made an advance on it. So needless to say, trust was kind of out the window. Everybody's paranoid. So to kind of give you an idea. And so, you know, that was just, that was day one. And it only went downhill from there. And, uh, you know, but, and really and truthfully, and I actually had people who I very much trust tell me this later, that that they were praying for me during that time. And, they, and multiple people made a very similar statement is that the Lord had sent me there to help and they refused the help. Yeah. Well, see, God had a good intention for me to, and I believe that. Because my heart was right, my heart was pure. I wasn't trying to manipulate anything. And yet I went into a situation where it came a lot of pain and suffering out of it. And a lot of brokenness came out of it, quite honestly. Which, although bad, God turned it to be good. Why? Because... For one, it humbled me immensely, <laughs> immensely, in a lot of ways. And, and it also gave me a lot of compassion for hurting people because I know what it's like to hurt. And I don't mean like in a surface level. I mean where I can't eat because I'm crying. I'm talking about deep wounds that I know what it's like to really hurt. 
And I also know what it's like to really get healed. And I know the blessing that can come when healing really comes. And so even as we kind of are talking about this, why does God allow suffering? Well, what you're saying, even by that question, is this. Is that God permits it. In other words, he kind of checks off on it. Like he allows it. God is not the author of pain. God is not the author of sickness. God is not the author of abuse. But we do live in a fallen world and fallen people. And, and, and you know, now, and I understand that. So let me qualify the statement I'm about to make. Romans 6.23 says that, all, uh, it, well, hold on. Let me back up a little bit. Romans 3.23 says this. It says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So to even say, and, and look, and I understand there is an age of innocence for a child. That children are innocent to a degree. But my 15-month-old son is a sinner right now. He's got flesh. We say no, he looks, and then walks. Don't tell me what to do. What do you think that is? It's flesh. He doesn't know any better, and yet flesh is already working. No, 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 no. Stop that. You know. What is that? It's the flesh. So even though, and, and there is innocence. I'm not denying that at all. Just because somebody, a child may have a sin nature. And it, but here's the thing though, is that none of us are pure before God from birth. We only, that's a decision that every individual has to make. And, and so even as we're talking about suffering and the things of, of, that we're talking about here, and, and why does God allow things to happen and a lot of times people take scriptures and stories and they totally take them out of context to make it say what they want to fit their circumstance. But it, And I can just tell you, because I, I mean, I didn't plan on even talking about that, but even in the midst of my chaos of those years, when I said that I wouldn't eat because I was crying, it's because I was worshiping God in the midst of that pain. And I was screaming <laughs> worship at the top of my lungs. Even in the midst of my pain. God didn't author it. But I do know this. God brought me out of it. God didn't bring it about. God didn't say. Oh, I'm going to teach David a lesson. So I'm going to send him into a really crabby situation. We're going to see how bright he is. And how long it takes him to learn. That's not God. The Bible says it's the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10. Jesus says I've come that you would have life. And have it to its fullest potential. And, and so even when we're talking about assault and those types of things where you're talking about rape and these types of situations somebody sinned against you Amen. and here's what you have to know they will give an account for that yeah. there is a judgment that is coming yeah. and so sometimes people have a hard time under suffering because they feel like well they got off the hook well no the bible says your sins will come and find you whether in this life or before god and quite frankly it'd be a lot better to pay for them in this life than in the Judgment with God because that one's going to be eternal. And and so, but we have to understand though that we live in this fallen world. That we live in a place for now where sin is, is in charge. I mean the Bible calls, even though the devil is defeated, Jesus has not completely put him under yet. He calls him the God of this world, of this time. 
Remember the demons when, when Jesus came to the madman of Gadara and, he, 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 and they said, Jesus, why have you come to torment us before our time? I mean, God has a timetable. And quite frankly, the Bible says it's because of his mercy that he extends it out so that more and more people can come to know him. So the devil is still active and still working. Although he is defeated, his ultimate defeat has not been rendered yet. So we still live in a fallen world. People look at um, you know, natural disasters and we call them acts of God. Well, no, it's really not. It's the work of the enemy. But it's the effects of sin. It's the weight of sin on the earth. Remember, God created the earth as paradise, as perfect, as balanced, as harmony. Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2, it goes from harmony and balance to chaos. Now, scripturally, I can't prove this. I hold to what's called the gap theory. It's what my personal belief is, which is where Satan got cast down from lightning, or as lightning from heaven, hit the earth, tipping it on its axis. I believe that's where we get the ice age. It's just my own personal belief. It's not scriptural, but it's an interesting thing. If you're ever curious about it, go look into it. Kind of a biblical, it's a theory. You know what theories are, right? They're not fact. It's just an opinion that somebody believes. But it is one that I, of everything I've ever read into. Like, where did dinosaurs come from? How are they so old? You know, he kind of addresses that. God named Phineas Dake is who, it's kind of a trivial. Anyhow, that's totally off subject. But it's interesting. See, here's the thing about this. And even the, the question and the thought is, is this, is that, If we're not careful, we will fall into this euphoric, unrealistic expectation of what it means to be saved. It's like, you know, because we get saved, and especially when when we start living for the Lord, and we start trying to do right and pleasing, and we start doing what what the Bible instructs us to do, we think that that means that we'll have no suffering ever. And yet... I mean, and, and, and it's not necessarily that it's taught, but it's just something that's kind of believed. And I don't really know where it started, but it's just like, well, if I'm going to serve God, nothing's ever going to go wrong. We live in a fallen world. Things happen. Not, and they're not always the devil. Sometimes they're, they're us. It's our decisions. There are consequences for the decisions that we make. This is kind of a funny example, but it's an example. This week, I climbed up on a ladder. First time in my life, it kicked out from underneath me. I landed on the ladder. No demon ran up and pushed the ladder over. (laughs) The devil, I mean, what happened? I climbed up on a ladder and the foot gave way into some sand and it fell and I went down with it. I live in a fallen world. You're like, well, but the angels are supposed to protect you. They did. Because it could have been bad. I fell from about six feet. Seven feet, where my feet were. So my head's up 11, 12 feet. So, I'm a little sore, but that's it. <laughs> Told Dare that's why I drink lots of milk. Gonna have strong bones, right? Amen. And, uh, but you know, I, I mean, but we, li- well, why did that happen? Because I, I, we live in this world. And, and there is sin, and there is, and we live in a time, at, and look, and there's things, and you know, and, I, and quite frankly, I've, I've wrestled with this question many times. And I've had to come to the place where I say, God, I still believe that you're who you are. You know, and I know that there's situations and circumstances, and it's a bad thing to take a circumstance and try to create theology out of it. 
You know, Adam did a great job a few weeks ago talking about this, about the difference between belief and faith and hope. Belief is based off of experience, whereas faith is based off of Scripture, the Word of God. And so we have to be careful to not mix what happens, our experiences in life, and say, well, now my experiences are going to tell me who God is. Because your experience may not be accurate. And your perception of your experience may not be accurate. So God does it, you know, and so there are several things here. Number one is that we do have an enemy. So why does God, you know, to answer the question, why does God allow suffering? And why does God allow these things? Because he gave us free will. He gave us free choice. As individuals, now there's also times that we don't do anything wrong, that people do things against us. It's still sin, though. It's a choice that they made. Human beings have free will. And here's the good news, and I've already kind of alluded to this, touched on this, is this, is that whatever damage has been done because of sin, Jesus paid the price to fix it, to heal it, to redeem it. And so we have to know that. Uh, one of the verses that I've quoted is Romans six twenty three. It talks about the wages of sin is death. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. See, trials and distress are not something unusual in this life. Trials and distress is going to come. Why? Because we're living. Because we're part of this world. They are part of what it means to be human in this fallen world. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You just watch on the screen because I'm going to go through these pretty quick. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. It says that God comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort others. Now I think it's interesting. It doesn't say God's going to deliver you from your trouble so you can comfort others. He says... That God will comfort you in your troubles so that you can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them some comfort or the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even though we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and for your salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you will patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. Now think about this. Because, you know, many times people think, and I think we, we quote portions of our favorite scriptures, and we leave real parts of it out. I'll give you an, another example of this is over in Philippians, where it talks about that, um, that I may know the power of the resurrection of Christ. You know, people quote these. Oh, that, you know, the same power that was flowing from the, from the cross of Christ would come into me. And, and it says, and at the end it says, and also share in his sufferings. Now, I know that's not like a real happy message. I get it. I understand. That's why we don't preach them very much. But, you know, we don't live this life for, the, for this life either. We live for the eternal. And that's many times part of the problem is that many times we see things through the light or through the lens of a 60 or 70 year lifespan. And so we think this stinks. And yet the Bible talks about something of far greater worth and weight than just this life. So we have to look beyond just what we perceive to be our life because this is temporary. Eternity is forever. And so even here it talks about that even in our suffering that Christ would comfort us. Christ would strengthen us. That even as we would be going through things, that he would be there for us. In Romans 8, he says this. 
And this is really speaking about, uh, talking about the earth. But in verse 19 of Romans 8, it says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all of creation is subjected to the curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to a day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Verse 22 says, for, all, for we know that all creation has been groaning as with pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Even up to this moment, the earth is in travail. It gives us the example like a woman going into labor. What is that in the earth? We see it in natural disasters. It's the weight of sin. And it's pointing us, if you look at it in the light of Scripture, it's pointing us to the return of Christ. We have more, I mean, it's just amplifying. And people want to say, oh, well, it's fracking. That's why we're getting all these earthquakes. It's this or it's that or it's, you know, global warming. It's it's the weight of sin. It's the weight of sin. John 16, 33 says this. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. You're going to face stuff. But here's the good news. You have a great God. Who has already provided for you all that you need for this life. It's available right now. And so we have to understand and rightfully and accurately understand what's going on. You know, I'll give you another example of this because it goes along this line. But I have a niece who's a senior in high school. She's about to be 18 here next month. And a few, a number of years ago now, I don't remember how many years ago, but she was 10, 12-ish. She had contracted meningitis. And, uh, and so she, you know, they went to the hospital and did all the stuff for her. She was fine. They went home. About a year later, they realized that she started having seizures. Well, you know, there's a certain line of, of I'm not even going to call it doctrine because it's teaching. It's not doctrine. It's not, doesn't, doctrine is the study of Scripture and it doesn't line up with Scripture. Is it, well, God, you know, because she wasn't born with it. But when she got the meningitis, it triggered something and it created, and so even to this day, she's on medication for this. Well, people would say, well, you know, the Lord probably did that to teach her something. Well, show me that in Scripture, buddy. That's part of the curse. There are some things in life that we just have to attribute it. That it's just the curse on the earth. Now the Bible says that I've been redeemed from the curse that has been pronounced. And I can live free and outside of that. And that is true. And I believe that. That's why we believe God. And that's why I say things like if you're breathing, you still have hope. You should believe God for your healing. You should believe God to work. You should believe God for the promises that you see throughout Scripture. As long as you have breath. Because what other choice you got? I I know you can say, well, you don't know what I'm dealing with. I may not. But I do know this. Is that if I'll believe God. He can work on my behalf. That I serve a great and a mighty God. That can do the impossible. And, And so but that requires faith. That requires me to trust and believe God. To believe who he is that I see in light of scripture. And so we have to understand that is that God is a just God. And even when people do things that are sinful against other people. Even if they never are held accountable now, they will be. And so you have to trust the Lord to take care of that and to take care of you. It's not your responsibility to fix that. 
Your responsibility is to connect with the heart of God because he's a loving father who wants to heal. Regardless of how you got wounded, he doesn't want you wounded. The Bible says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The price that was needed to pay for peace was placed upon him. That's Isaiah 53, verse 3, 4, 5. So Jesus came, why? To undo the work of the devil. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God doesn't allow the enemy to do it, but there are times that, yes, it's the enemy, but sometimes, too, it's just our own. We make decisions. And that's why we have the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, I need to get that stuff covered. Lord, I screwed up, and I need some help, so I'm going to plead the blood over that. And I'm just going to say that even though I was an idiot, the blood's power enough to cover up my idiocracy, right? So... We're just going to leave that like that, but I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus is powerful enough for that mess that I made, and I'm going to move forward. So, let me move on because I'm going to run out of time. Uh, <clears throat> this one will be a lot shorter of an, of an answer, but, uh, and it goes along the lines of this, but it's, and many people base this first question off of this particular account, but it says, explain the allowing part of God and Job. And so I'm going to give you the, the synopsis of what happens. In Job 1, the Bible says that the devil came into the very presence of God, and is basically talking to God. Now, theologically, I've heard lots of opinions on this. It doesn't matter. There's a conversation between God and the devil. Now, how did it happen? All I don't look. Whatever. People got opinions. I don't see it anywhere in Scripture, so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, as far as why this could transpire, but there was a conversation, and God makes a statement and says, "Have you looked at my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him." And the devil makes a statement and says, "Of course, he's going to serve you." You bless him, you take care of him, he's healthy, everything's great. But I tell you what, I bet if you take all that stuff from him, he'll curse you. He won't serve you. He's only following you because of your blessings, not because he's actually loyal to you. So God makes a statement and says, take his stuff away because he'll still serve me. But leave him alone, don't touch him. Well, Job loses everything. I mean, some of his kids were killed. All of his property is, I mean, all this stuff. He ends up getting leprosy. His wife says, just curse God and die. <laughs> like, just get it over with. And Job makes statements throughout the book of Job. 42 chapters of them. I mean, at one time, I mean, you can go read the story. I mean, he, you know, he makes all kinds of just crazy statements. But in Job chapter 1, let me read you this one. Let me get over there myself if I can find Job on my iPad here there we go right in the middle Job chapter 1 verse 20 he makes a statement it says that Job and this is after he loses everything Job stood up and tore his robe in grief and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship Job just lost everything and yet he has a heart to worship well people always want to out Job but I mean he never did curse God. He, now, you can read some places where he felt like it, but he, said, he goes on, he makes a statement. He says, I came naked from my mother's womb, and, I, and naked, or, or I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. So people make the statement, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and you'll just never understand it. <laughs> and, now, but here's the other thing. Verse 22, it says, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. So he didn't look at God and say, why did you allow this? Why did you do this? 
says he did not sin. Although, and many people take that statement. Well, you know, you just can't ever figure God out. He's going to give you some stuff. He might take it away. So enjoy it while you got it. He can be gone tomorrow. That's, I mean, that's the, you know, I mean, I'm somewhat making it light. But a lot of people make those statements. Well, you just can't understand why God put that sickness on you. But there's something in there for you, I'm sure. He's got a purpose. God's only purpose in sickness is healing. That's God's purpose in sickness. Job makes another statement over in Job 3. And this is what I believe is one of the keys to why. And really, this is just, again, this is a, a, a personal. I believe that this is the key to why the devil could even go have the statement in the conversation with God to begin with. And it comes out of Job chapter 3 verse 25. It says, What I have always feared has happened to me, and what I dreaded has come true. I have no peace and no quietness. I have no rest, and only trouble comes to me. Other translations say it this way. The thing that I have greatly feared has come upon me. Fear opened the door to the enemy in Job's life. So why did this happen? Because he opened the door. He gave space. And you can even go look at it. Even go read over in chapter 1. He's making sacrifices and all these things for his kids in case they sinned. He's like trying to like get forgiveness ahead of time. He's like, they're young, they're dumb. I know they're going to do some stupid stuff. So let me go make some sacrifices and some things early. He was afraid that he would lose everything. He was afraid he would lose his family. Now, the end of the story is this. Is that Job got twice everything that was taken away from him. In the end, though, this is... What Job said. Job 42 verse 1. It says, Then Job replies to the Lord. Because the Lord basically gives about a two or three chapter. Kind of smack around to Job a little bit. And was like, do you think. Like when I made the world, where were you? When I did this, where were you? Do you have wisdom that I should go and ask you what I should do? Because I'm God and you're not. So, you know, he just kind of puts a verbal smack down for several chapters. And then Job responds and he says. I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. So many times, even the statements that Job made, I'm talking about things I knew nothing about. And so people get all tripped up on why did these things happen and why did God bring this about in Job's life? It was his fear. It was the work of the enemy. But God restored everything double that the enemy had stolen. And so we have to realize that, that God doesn't allow these things, but sometimes we open the door. We open the door to the work of the enemy, and, and we deal with those consequences sometimes. Now, what do we do when those consequences start coming? We need to look to the Lord. Why? Because that's where our help comes from. That's the source of our help. Now, let me answer another question. I'm going to try to squeeze these in if I can. But it says, why do people that are strong in faith get tested more? People who are strong in faith, why do they get tested more? My answer is they don't. They get tested like everybody else. Now, our, our understanding, we may recognize it as being tested, where other people are just like, well, the stuff hit the fan. <laughs> like, it's a bad day. and They may not realize it. I would say as you grow in faith, you become more mature in your understanding of who's doing what, actually. So it grows. And, quite frankly, as human beings, we all like to throw pity parties. I don't care who you are. We always think our mess is worse than somebody else's mess. And we always think that our sins are worse than somebody else's. Sin is sin, and it was all bought and paid for and covered with the blood of Christ. And so, regardless, we got to know that. Is that even for those of us that maybe have matured some, 
in the Lord. I don't believe that we get tested more. Now, we may have different tests. We may have other things. And this is the thing that I find in the, as I've walked with the Lord. The longer I walk with Him and the closer I work with Him, the more specific He gets in my life. Yeah. When I was first in walking with the Lord, it was generic. Like, you know, I mean, fairly generic in a lot of things. You need to deal with your attitude. Well, now it's you need to deal with your attitude of this. And it's more targeted. So now, I'm, and, and truthfully, the longer I've walked with the Lord, the more personal He started to deal with me. So yeah, my faith is getting challenged in a different way, but it's not uncommon either. And, and so in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he makes a statement and he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through, as if something strange were happening. Like, don't be surprised. Now, verse 13, nobody likes, but it says, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with, the, uh, with Christ in the suffering, so that you will have the, joy, joy, or the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. Now, in chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. You've got to remember, the Bible was, wasn't written in chapters, by the way, so this is still a, in line. Verse 8, it says, stay alert, watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, it says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. I mean, the, the international church of God outside of America is much more persecuted than we are. And what we call persecution, they would laugh at. Many times. Somebody hurt your feelings because they made fun of you because you go to church. Really? Well, they killed my mom and my dad because they took us to church. Our persecution and theirs, not really the same things. So we have to be careful. And look, and the enemy would love to jump on this one element. That he wants to magnify our problems while he minimizes everybody else. So we're so bad. So what you're saying is that you're so bad that Jesus can't do anything about your problem. Like the Messiah, the guy who was beaten and tortured, hung on a cross, dead for three days, got out of the grave, ascended on high, sits in a place of authority at the right hand of God right now, can't do something about your problem. I find that hard to believe, quite honestly. So even as, we're, even as we're challenged, it doesn't mean that we don't need faith to deal with the challenges that come, but we don't want to allow the enemy to magnify our problems in our own mind to think that somehow we're special. I mean, here it says, hey, this is common to the world. This is common to believers. We shouldn't even, I mean, it said there in chapter 4, why do you think it's strange? Quite honestly, the enemy hates you. You want to know why? Because you're everything that he wanted to be. He wanted to be like God and now you are. So you're public enemy to him. He sees you and he sees everything he ever wanted to be and can't be. That's why he fights. That's why he's seeking whom he can devour. James chapter 1. Verse 13, it says, remember when you were being tempted, do not say that God is tempting me. Oh, well, God's just testing me. That's the same word. 
It says God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone to do wrong. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us away and drag us or entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow it gives birth to death. Don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us or down to us from our Father in heaven. Who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes nor casts a shadow or shifting shadow. Make no mistake about it. When we have trouble, there's two people to blame. One of two, if not maybe both at the same time. It's either the devil or it's us. Because we've brought things into our life. We've allowed things to stem up in our life. And so we have to be aware of that. Why? Because every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord. Now here's the other, here's the good news for us as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says uh, that temptations in our life are no different from what others experience. But God is faithful. That he will not allow us to be tempted or tried or tested to go beyond what we can stand. So you hear people say, and this is an ignorant statement. Well, you know, God won't put anything more on you than you can handle. You got to keep reading the verse, Goober. Right? Like, don't stop there. Like, because people quote that. Oh, well, you know, Lord, man, I'm glad he gave you that, not me. Because, man, that would, whoo. He says he won't allow you to be tested or tried more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, tried, tested, it's the same word. You can go study it out. I'm not just changing words. The Greek is tried, tested. I mean, it's all in the same Greek word. It says, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So this much I know. It doesn't matter what I walk into. God's got me a way out. But I've got to look for it. I'm going to have to ask him. It's not going to be some gaping hole where God's like, David, over here. It's probably not going to be like that. And it says he would give me a way of escape. It didn't say that he would take me out of it. In other words, he gives me a door, but I've got to walk through it out of the temptation. So even, and the thing is, is that he says he won't allow anything to come at you that you can't bear. Yes. Because he gives you a way out. Because out of his grace, out of his mercies, he gives us a way out. And so we, we've got to understand these things because it's not that we're just tested and somehow like spiritual giants. And I don't know about you, but I used to think, man, I want to be somebody one day. Like spiritually speaking. And I want to be like some, well, you know, I mean, a person who just got saved two minutes ago has the same authority that somebody has been saved for 50 years. Amen. The same ability that resides in them resides in them. It's no different. Now, we do have to learn certain things. We need to understand certain things scripturally speaking. Yes, sure. We need to grow. We need to mature in the things of God. But don't think it's strange because you're tested. I look at it like a badge of honor. The devil thinks he needs to mess with me. I must be doing something right. See, many times people have the reverse. Oh, what did I do wrong? Something's going wrong. When everything's just clicking along real smooth, I get a little concerned. Because like, what am I not doing that I should be doing? Because obviously I've not made the devil mad enough lately. So I need to make him a little bit mad so he's going to mess with me. Because here's the thing. I'm not afraid of that. Why? Because I already know I have victory in Christ. So devil, take your shots, but you ain't stopping me. If he could have, he already would have. The only way he stops me is when I say I quit. 
So that's what we've got to know. Last question. I'll answer this one quickly. It says, is it possible to have belief and unbelief at the same time? And can one take over the other? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there was an account in Mark where a man came to Jesus, actually came to the disciples first. Uh, <laughs> Mark chapter 9. He comes to the disciples. His son was demon-possessed. And the, the spirit would come upon him, throw him in the fire, try to drown him, all these things. The disciples are praying. They're using it. And now, they're not novices at this point, by the way. But they knew what they were doing and had been ministering to people this way. But their prayers weren't very effective at all. So Jesus comes to the, or, you know, so they finally go and get Jesus, come to the man. And, they, and he says, hey, I went to your disciples. They could do nothing. If anything, would you have mercy on me and my son? And Jesus says, sure, I will. Cast the devil out. Later on, the disciples come back and they say, you know, well, I'm sorry. The guy asks Jesus, makes a statement and says, can you help us? Have mercy on us. And Jesus says, anything is possible if you believe. And the man makes a statement and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You can have faith and some doubt competing. The key is you've got to get your faith to overwhelm your doubt. Well, how do you do that? It's not hard and it's not difficult. You've got to get into the scripture. You've got to get into the word of God. Why Romans 10, 17 says this is that faith. What is faith? The most basic definition. It's belief that God will do what he says he'll do. That's the most easiest definition I can give you. I believe God will do what he said he'll do. Well, how do I know what God will do? Because he's revealed it in his word. So if I'm sick, I need to go get scriptures on healing. You know, if, you know, if I'm lonely, I need to go get scriptures on comfort and, and, you know, those types of things and whatever it may be. And so faith can overwhelm your doubt, but that means you've got to do a little work. You've got to tend the garden of your heart. You've got to go pluck some weeds out and plant some good seeds, which is the word of God. You've got to allow it to be watered. That's part of why you come to church, not solely, but that's part of it. But there's also a personal responsibility. You've got to do this in your own life. You've got to do this and, and manage your own heart. And, and so, you know, but just as this man said, he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's not a bad prayer to pray. Lord, I believe your word and I want to, I want to, to be full of faith in this area. But right now I'm struggling. I don't know if you'll provide for me. I don't know if you'll heal me. I, I see it in scripture and I want to believe it and I believe that you will. But I've just got questions. God doesn't, that doesn't bother God. God is not an all or nothing God. He doesn't say, hey, when you got all the faith you need, then come and see me. God says, hey, you come to me the way you are and I'll work with you right where you're at. And I can, I mean, he didn't tell us to get saved and do all these things or, you know, to get cleaned up before we got saved. He just said, bring all your mess with you. We'll we'll handle all that. Let's take care of the most important thing first. So yes, you can have belief and unbelief at the same time, but one of them is going to dominate. And it's either going to be your mind and your thoughts Bible talks about in Romans 12, it says we need to renew our mind. In other words, we need to change. Actually, it says to be transformed. Not just like a, a swap out, like a complete overhaul. I mean, think of it like in terms of like a car. It's not rebuilding the engine. You need a new engine. So we got to take something out and put something new in because that old stuff ain't going to work. And he says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we do that with the Word of God? We've got to meditate on Scriptures. You're like, well, man, I don't even know the scriptures I need. Contact us. We can get you scriptures. We'll stand and believe with you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. 
that's important that we know that. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 it says that by God's divine power he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption by human desires, caused by human desires. We have great and precious promises that have been given to us as believers. They're for our good, they're for our help, they're for our aid. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 says this says do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord remember that it brings great reward talks about your your confident trust it's faith don't throw away your faith why because your faith will bring about a great reward says patient endurance is what you need so that you will continue to do God's will then you will receive all that God has promised God may not always answer when you want, how you want, when you think he should. Many times the answers I get from the Lord aren't like what I thought they would be. But he's God and I'm not and I trust him. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to have every answer. But this I know is that he's God and I'm not. I don't want to be like Job. Where I ran my mouth about things I knew nothing about. But this I know, God is good and God does that which is only good. Every good and perfect gift comes from him in my life. And God is watching over his word in my life and in your life so what he can bring it about. So the thing I need to do is exactly what it says in James. I need to understand that I have an enemy. I need to resist him. You're not trying to scare the devil away. You've got to resist him. You say, no, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to fall for that trap. I'm not going to fall into that. I'm not going to think that way. I'm going to trust what Scripture says about God. Not what my circumstances may, what you're trying to tell me through my circumstances about God. And as I do that, as you'll do that, you'll begin to understand not only who it is that you serve, because He's a good God who loves you, who wants good for you. Go read Jeremiah 29, 11. I, I have a plan and a purpose for you, for your good, not for your evil. Not to harm you, not to hurt you. It's to prosper you, to give you hope and future. That's the God that we serve. He's not mad. He's not angry. All of God's anger was poured out on Christ. He's not mad at you. He was. He was mad at me. But thankfully, Christ stepped into that place and took all of that anger upon him why so that I could have and you can have the peace and the presence of God today that's our promises from God so you got to understand when it comes to these types of issues is that don't allow people's opinions or their thoughts or what they've said to skew your sight of scripture God doesn't allow suffering the enemy brings it about the fallen world brings it about God redeems it God heals it God restores it God's trying, is getting us to that place where what? That Christ can come back. And then we'll see perfection 